The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the woodlands bare. In his temple, all cry glory. The Lord sets enthroned over the flood. The Lord sets enthroned king forever. The Lord gives his people strength. The Lord blesses his people with peace. Let's pray. Lord, as we begin this new year and this semester of school, we just acknowledge that you do sit on the throne. You are the king that is there forever. And we lean on you for our strength, our power. And we recognize that all the blessings we have, whether it's in the classroom, on the court, or wherever it's at, they're because of you. We thank you for that, Lord. We pray for this time as we reflect and think about maybe some things we need to change, even this new year, even this day, even this week. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, so here we are. We're the 2019. I've already seen the change. And here's how I've seen it. I have, we're going to talk a little bit about habits, New Year's resolutions, right? That's what everybody sort of talks about and gets hyped about. And most of the time, it's overhyped. But you see that people are scrambling in our culture to make changes, get things done, make resolutions. So this week, one of my habits is to lift weights. So I've done that since I was probably middle school. I don't throw up 300 pounds anymore, don't do anything like that, but I do weights every day. Uh, not a lot, a little. And I go to the YMCA, and so this week I go to the YMCA, and what do I see? Lines and lines and lines of people that have now showed up the first couple weeks in January to do what? Lift weights. Man, they're all ready to go. And I'm just like, when's this going to clear out? But I know, because I've been doing it for years and years and years, I know the crowd, the herd thins out in about two weeks. It doesn't take long. There's a whole lot of people that are like, I want to be, but no, I don't want to do this. And that's kind of true when it comes to fitness. But then the other thing I've done for a couple years, I try to eat a little better. So I got this place in Omaha, and it's called Evolve Paleo. And so it's kind of more healthy food. At least I hope it's healthy, right? It's the way the caveman ate. I don't know if that's a healthy thing or not, but that's what they say, eat like a caveman. So anyway, I go to get a few meals for the week, and they've got these refrigerators where you kind of get to choose and pick what you want. And I go up to it, and it's like completely cleaned out. There's nothing. And they, they deliver like twice a week. And I'm like, man, what happened? And the guy's like, first of the year, man. They just, they just came in here like the locust. And they just wiped us out. And I said, well, how long is that going to last? About a week. About a week. That's what happens a lot of times with New Year resolutions. But I want to think about habits. I want to think about where all of this kind of goes. Now, this is kind of a, a funny thing here. We're going to talk about the main thing this morning. But if you can see, oh, can we see that? So as we're letting it kind of warm up there, let me give you the backdrop of what I'm going to show you. A lot of times you wonder, where did, the, where did the fitness craze, where did the diet craze, where did all this stuff come 
where at the beginning of every year we're like, well, we need to set all these goals, we need to get better. Let me tell you a little bit of history. There was a guy, and once we have this ad up in a minute, you're going to see an ad. Now, the older guys and the ladies in the back, they'll know who this guy is. You don't, because he died a while back. But his name was Charles Atlas. And Charles Atlas, many years ago, figured something out that he could use advertising and marketing and a story to sell what people wanted. And so here was the, here's the famous ad right here. It's kind of hard to see, but it's a little comic strip, and it's really funny because in the first little panel there, you can see they're on the beach, and there's a bully that kicks sand in the face of this guy with his girl on the beach. And then the next panel, you see there's this kind of big, bulky guy, and of course, the, the guy's real skinny. He's kind of picking on him. And then he gets upset, and he goes home, and he orders the Charles Atlas system. And you can see he's transformed into this really beefy guy. And he goes back to the beach, and he punches him out. That's not too politically correct today, right? Probably wouldn't have that. By the way, that's a picture of Charles Atlas right there. But here was kind of the thing. He said, darn, I'm sick and tired of being a scarecrow. Charles Atlas says he can give me a real body. All right, I'll gamble a stamp and get his free book. So that was the, that was the famous ad that started, I would, I would argue that may have started everything when it comes to fitness, to diet, all the marketing people thought, you know what, if we can convince somebody they're too skinny, that they're the 97 pound skinny, weak guy, then we're gonna be able to sell something. Now I actually saw that Charles Atlas ad when I was in junior high. And so I actually sent in for it, and it, there's not too much to it. It's called dynamic tension. It's about 10 basic, simple exercises, but it is interesting that over about a 50-year period, most of the power lifters, bodybuilders, took that course. And here was one little secret to it, but there's several things that go into changing habits. But the one thing Atlas got right the one thing that he did, when you would send in your stamp and say, send me that, that secret plan, that way to do it, he had a plan. He had a process. So he had something that nobody else had. So if you were that 97-pound weakling on the beach, you were going, you know what? I want to be Charles Atlas. I don't want to be that skinny guy. What do I do? Got to have a plan, right? And so that's what set in motion all the marketing people, all the fitness craze, I would argue, all the diet that, hey, we've got to provide some sort of a plan. So what I want to talk a little bit about this morning is godly habits. What are those? And how do we keep the main things the main things, right? As we start the year, what's really the main thing? And so some of these things you're going to see, well, planning, having a process is a part of it and really important. And we're going to hit on another area of accountability here in just a moment. And then I'm going to finish with, with what I think is like, I don't know if it's a secret ingredient, but I'd say it's the one thing that's usually missing from the fitness programs, the diet programs, almost everything. So you're going to have to wait for that at the end, but I'm going to give you essentially three things that kind of go into any kind of forming of a new habit and why these are important. I think it's important to start with this, which is God has given us the capacity the capacity of habit to be used for his glory. So a habit's a good thing. And you already have habits, right? This morning you got up. I'm, hope, I'm hopeful you took a shower, brushed your teeth, probably did breakfast. 
all those things are habits. It's the things that you'll do on a, a regular, a daily basis. Now, the researchers tell us this, that it takes at least, at least about 30 days to develop any kind of habit. And maybe as long as 66 days. So think about that. It's like two months. So for a lot of those people who are showing up at the YMCA and going, hey, I'm going to just like turn into Charles Atlas, they last a week and that's it. They haven't stuck with it long enough. So even if they had a plan, they probably haven't stuck with it long enough. But what's interesting for us as believers is to know that habits are a good thing. And you either have good habits or you have bad habits. Most of the time, when I look at the church today, and I look at believers within the church, I'd say we don't have great habits. I'm not even sure we have good habits. For the most part, we have poor habits. I would say even at most good churches, if I said, raise your hand if you read the Bible this last week, at most good, what I call evangelical churches, you'd have a lot of hands that wouldn't go up. And it's because they don't have a good habit when it comes to reading God's Word. This is the first one, and I got a little outline there you can fill in the blanks and kind of keep you with me this morning. It's read the Bible. And you're going, I think I heard that before. I think I heard that at church. I think I heard that in youth group. Well, isn't that the main thing? And this is one of the things I would argue there are many spiritual disciplines. We're going to look briefly at prayer. You could argue that a spiritual discipline of solitude, you could say worship with music, uh, all kinds of different spiritual disciplines you could look at. But I would say the one non-negotiable, the one spiritual discipline that makes all the difference is this one, reading your Bible. And the research actually backs this up. There have been a number of studies, and they call them studies on Bible engagement. And you can Google it, and you can look up these studies on Bible engagement. And here's what they show. They show that if people engage in God's Word... The people who engage in the most look like Christians, behave like believers. Those who engage less look more like the world. It's kind of that simple. And it, again, most of you have pastors who would go, I could have told you that without the research, right? Because that's just understanding God's word and it's God's word that's transforming in our lives. Here is a... Uh, a good verse, Psalm 119, 165. Great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. And we all, we all want to do well in this Christian race, right? I mean, we're off and running. None of us are going, I really want to do a lousy job in this Christian race. I really don't want to last. I really, I don't. Most of us would say we want to do well. We want to grow in our faith. And some of you are here because of that reason or your parents have sent you here because they want you to grow in your faith. So this is where it really starts right here with number one, reading God's word. Here's um, something you can write in your notes. It's called replicate.org. It's a website. These are guys that I think are doing a great job with Bible reading plans and and they've got a number of very simple plans. They also have an app. So I know a lot of you are going, well, it's nice that the coach this morning gave us, I gave you all a Bible reading plan. It's a simple one in the New Testament. Uh, you can go to Uversion or other apps and find all kinds of Bible reading plans. But again, the plan in and of itself 
if you don't follow it, doesn't get you very far. Just like when you ordered the Charles Atlas thing years ago, if you start out with it and you start doing the exercises by day five, if you stop doing it, the plan doesn't help you anymore. So there, I would suggest though, if you don't have a plan, you need a plan. Because if you don't plan, you're just planning to not do it, right? We just all know that. That's just common sense. But that's a website that has, I think, some good resources. It has an app that I think you'd find helpful when it comes to this. Number two, plug into a, and I'm going to call this a discipleship group. And then you're going to go, well, now what's a discipleship group? Is it a small group? Well, yeah, it is small. It's not a group of 50 or 100, so it's a smaller group. But it's different than an e-group. This morning we're going to break up an e-group. An e-group is more of an encouragement group. It's just a brief, short time, as you know, where we have a little bit of prayer, encourage each other, and discuss whatever was talked about this morning in chapel. Discipleship group, maybe what I would call D-group, is a whole different animal. It's a small group of folks that truly want to grow in their faith, and they want to make other disciples. They want to replicate. It's the big missing thing, actually, in the church and everywhere I look in America today, which is we know what? We look at the Bible, and it says the churches are to make disciples. And if I would go to most churches and say, let's measure this. Who is replicating? Who is helping somebody make more disciples? Again, you'd find very few hands would go up. You'd find a lot of people would say, well, I'm in, a, I'm in a Bible study. I'm in a small group. I'm in a Sunday school. I do go to church, and all of that is really good. But if I said, has anybody in this church actually met with another person or a small group of people with the goal that you would replicate and make more disciples? Usually the answer is, um, uh, yeah, I know I, should, I know we should do that, but I, I don't know how to do that. So you probably need a process, and maybe later this semester I'll give you a couple simple processes or plans for that. But I would say one thing you could pray about this semester is, is there a group, small group, that would even to some degree hold you accountable for things like a Bible reading plan or just a time of prayer? Because here's the thing I know, and you all know this if you're an athlete, it is way easier to come in in the summer, lift weights, shoot hoops, if there's even one other person that's there with you, right? If you come in on your lonesome and you're just shooting hoops, it can be hard. It can be like, well, it's really hot tonight or I'm really tired. One person walks in to rebound for you and all of a sudden it's like, I can do this. One person walks in the weight room or two and we do it together, it becomes what easier and you also have accountability where the person who's there goes, hey, where you at? I thought we were gonna do it tonight. Where you at? We're waiting on you. It's an encouragement and it holds you accountable. So that, again, you need a plan. And the second kind of secret ingredient here is something that kind of helps you be accountable. It's a help. It's really a big help. And we'll get to the last one here at the end. Here's a good verse, Romans 12:2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is good and acceptable and perfect. So transformations in the mind and if you've got a, a group a small group that's helping you move that direction and help you think biblically then you're going to what behave that way right that's absolutely the way it works proverbs says as a man thinks in within himself 
So he is. It's just obvious that what you got in your mind is going to come out in your behavior. Number three, pray a lot. Pray a lot. We had a, that guest speaker a few weeks ago, Scotty Kessler from Washington. I think he made the reference that oftentimes we pray a little. And it kind of struck me because I thought, you know, maybe what we need to think about is we need to pray a lot. Now you ask the question, well, let's pray a lot. Is that five minutes? Is that 10 minutes? Is that 20 minutes? I, I don't know what it may be for you. My guess is we all pray, though, too little. So I'd say whatever you're doing now, you increase it by a little bit, and that's better than probably what you did yesterday. We all need to pray more, and we need to pray a lot. Uh, but that's going to be something you're going to have to kind of work out with your schedules. But I'd ask you to really think about That's a main thing, so think about that. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. One of the biggest areas of concern in our culture today, and actually it, it's another industry that grew up, and it's a multi-million dollar industry, and it's because of one word, I'd say, that's used for this. It's called anxiety. You got people all over, Christians and non-Christians alike, that have tremendous anxiety. Anxiety about everything. In fact, that's why the counseling industry has kind of sprung up because people need somebody. And a lot of times they're paying thousands and millions of dollars just to sit down with somebody, get stuff off their chest, just express, just to, to relieve themselves of anxiety. And we understand that in that sense, but I'm going, when you look at King David and you look at the Psalms, you see David had it right, which is pour it out to God. Talk to God. Pray to God. You want less anxiety? There's a place for professional counseling, especially biblical counseling, but you don't need to spend a dollar to spend time when you're talking to God. And you can express how you feel. You can express your anxiety. You can express your fear, your frustration, all that to God. And most of the time, we don't do that. Oftentimes, what we do is we get frustrated and angry, and we go immediately to other people and just go, I just, I can't take it. I'm upset. I'm, and instead of first taking it to God, and I would argue we would be a lot less anxious if the first thing we did is pray. And that's what you see here in Philippians. Number four, another main thing is live godly lives. So if you want to talk about, well, what's a main thing you want to keep going this year? I would argue living a godly life. And that could be when you're out there on the volleyball court or the basketball court or you run track. It could be in the classroom. It could be when you're at home with your parents or your siblings. But it's living a godly life. And if we don't do that, the world looks at us and goes, you guys are talking about this Jesus Christ. They don't even pay attention if they see that we live no differently. So I'll know that, but we oftentimes don't live this. Romans 12.1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So what Paul's talking about is because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross, because he died for you, because of that, because of that mercy God has shown each one of us in this room, because of that, 
You should therefore be motivated to want to offer your bodies as a sacrifice, like sacrifice what you want for what you know God wants. This is a godly life. So the motivation is not so much, I'm doing this because the coach told me to go run two miles. It really becomes what I do, I do because I'm so thankful and I want to show my thankfulness for God because of his mercy. So now the motivation is your love for God. It's really that straightforward and that simple. The fifth one, the last one, is tell people the gospel. Tell people the gospel. So let's just do some evaluation right now, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand on this, but let's just ask ourselves all this question. When's the last time you told somebody about the gospel? Let's think on that. When is the last time you told somebody the gospel? Was it last week? Was it last year? Was it three years ago? Maybe for a lot of you, maybe it's not ever. Well, it's never too late to start. So what I'd encourage you to begin to pray, and this is part of praying, is praying for people that God may put in your path that you could share your faith. Again, if you have no intention, if you have no plan that you're ever going to make a priority of sharing your faith, I would say you're probably not going to do it. So it's really something you need to think about who's around me, who's my inner circle, who are the people I run into that I might have the opportunity to tell them about the gospel. Romans 1.16 says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So it's the power. Man, that's, that is the power source. And if you think little of the gospel or think not much of the gospel, you're missing the power source. And that oftentimes can be the case of believers where they're going, you know, I just feel anemic. I feel weak in my faith. In fact, a lot of believers would look at that Charles Atlas ad and go, that skinny 97-pound guy, that's me. That's me in the Christian world. What do I do? Well, you don't need to send in, you know, a stamp and send in and get the Charles Atlas deal. It's what we talked about, which is it starts with reading God's Word. Now, I'm going to close with this, and we'll get to our, our e-group so you have a little time this morning. This is the most photographed um, thing in the state of Nebraska. So, not Chimney Rock, actually, but this. Everybody, raise your hand if you've never seen this. you never... Okay, okay, we got a few, got a few. Most of us know what this is. This is a statue that's at the University of Nebraska. It's at the football stadium. And it's two guys. And most everybody in Nebraska would go, well, I know the one guy is Tom Osborne, who coached at Nebraska. The harder question is the other guy, which is Brooke Berenger, who represented what a great player was at Nebraska. So this was a statue. In fact, this was interesting with Coach Osborne. He's a very humble man, strong Christian man. And when they asked him, can we... Can we put a statue up? And the reason they were doing it is why? Because he won a lot of games, right? Three national championships, over 200 wins, uh, athletic director, congressman, like he's a great man. And Coach Osborne said, no, I don't want to do that. And then he finally figured out, okay, let's try another angle. And so they came back and said, how about this? Your favorite player was Brooke Berenger. Actually, it wasn't me, it was Brooke Berenger. 
But they said, your favorite player, what if we put him in the statue with you? Uh, I suppose. So that's how they kind of angled in to, to get this statue, which I think is interesting. But this is before games, after games, during the week, all kinds of people kind of stand in front of this statue, get their picture taken. So what I want to tell you about Coach Osborne is this. I've known him for a long time. When he was a very young man in his 30s, he had a massive heart attack. He had triple bypass surgery. And, uh, you know, here was a guy that was a former college player, professional player, healthy guy. And the doctors set him down and they said this. They said, look, Tom, you have a history of heart disease in your family. It's clear. There's no doubt about it. You just had this massive heart attack. You're a young man. Your future looks bleak unless, unless you do a couple things. And of course, Tom was like, well, what do I need to do? And they said, one is fitness. Well, that wasn't hard. Uh, Tom changed it, maybe just tweaked it a little bit, but he'd always been pretty fit guy, exercise plan. But they said the really big thing that could change your future and prevent a heart attack is diet. And they kind of explained to him some diet plans. And there was one in particular, I'll never forget it, it was it's mostly vegetarian. It has no, no beef on it. In fact, Coach Osborne got himself in trouble one time when he kind of, in Nebraska, said he wasn't too keen on beef. It's not the thing you want to say in Nebraska, right? But this plan was really regimented to help him with heart disease. And I remember being with him at some banquets, and we were at one, and he was eating a veggie burger. You ever had a veggie burger? I'd never had one before, and so I asked him, I, I said, well, tell me about the veggie burger. And Tom said, well, I've been eating them several years, and they're pretty good. Just throw a little ketchup on that, and you probably like it. It's just like a hamburger. A couple days later, I saw the veggie burgers. I got one. I tried one. Guess what? They don't taste anything like a hamburger. It was awful. But I thought, if I'm a guy that I don't ever eat beef and all I'm eating is vegetables, I'm thinking... I suppose I would start to like a veggie burger then. But you know what? I don't have to, so guess what? I'm not eating a veggie burger. But here's the thing about Coach Osborne. Because he had a conviction and a belief and believed in what the doctor told him, he said, I'm going I'm to change the fitness plan and I'm going to change my diet and in a radical way, in a way most people will not do it. But he believed it was life and death. Life and death. And so a lot of times, you need this, right? Think about this. you got to have the plan or the process. you got to have the, the Charles Atlas plan of reading the Bible, some kind of plan or process. You probably need some help and accountability, some friends that can go with you on this race, this spiritual race. But you've got to have a conviction that when it comes to the Word of God that this is life and death. And here's the thing, if you really don't think this matters, if you think this really is not that important, you're not going to even get very far. So here this morning, I can give you a plan. It's a New Testament plan. I think it's a pretty easy plan. I'm not saying you got to read 10 chapters a day. There's some plans out there, 10 chapters a day. I'm not saying you got to go from a 97-pound you know, skinny weakling to 300-pound buff person in two weeks or something. But I realize that the reason all those people kind of die are going to die out at the Y. So this afternoon, I'll go to the Y. 
I'll do my workout. It, the crowd starts to thin down. This afternoon, I'll go pick up some paleo meals, and sure enough, the refrigerator will have them. It's because the crowd thinned out a little bit because it's not life and death for them. That's why all those things fail. That's why most of those resolutions fail because people go, you know what, I want to be skinny or I want to be strong or I want to have muscles or I want to be fit, I want to be healthy, but they realize, you know what, if I don't go to the Y today, not a big deal, right? Maybe I'll catch up tomorrow. Maybe I'll catch up next week because I'm probably not going to die of heart disease. So changing habits can be a difficult thing depending on what kind of habit you're trying to form. So if all it is is brushing your teeth in the morning, your parents pretty much got on top of that when you were young and you found out, okay, I can do this in three minutes and that's easy and then I'm just out the door. But the more that it takes concentration, the more it takes effort, it's harder to form those habits. And so if you're an athlete, you understand that. You understand that if there are certain things you need to do habitually to get better as an athlete, and if you want to be an elite athlete, that takes sort of elite habits. So what I want to suggest to you this morning is you think about godly habits. God's given us the capacity to build good habits into our lives even the rest of this semester. So these are going to be the questions. You're going to, we're going to break. I'm going to pray, but these are going to be the questions when you break into your e-groups. Which of the habits stood out to you and why? So of the things we talked about, you know, what stood out? I mean, we're talking Bible reading plan, need a little help with the prayer part. How about an accountability group? How you doing? Do you feel like you need some help there? What are some habits that are going to be positive for you this, this semester? And which of these main things do you need to prioritize in your life? So even which of those things are you going, hey, I'm doing pretty good on Bible reading, but boy, the prayer thing, I, I got to get on top of that. Or maybe, again, it's the accountability and maybe it's that discipleship group and maybe you go, I don't even have a group like that. Where do I start? What do I do? And what's the next steps there? So you can ask yourself that. Let's pray and then we'll dismiss for e-groups.